put down that bowl of stewed tomatoes because today we're going to take a look at a Chinese artist who did whatever it took to make a point. Or I don't even know what the point of his thing was, but he did something super gross. And then we travel to the bedroom of a young boy who's trying to catch some peaceful sleep. Instead, he finds himself thrust into a world of the afterlife where nothing is as it seems today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys have already eaten. Because if you are eating while listening to this episode, Godspeed to you. I would not recommend it. But one thing that I would recommend is coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now. They're eating a big bowl of stew. Mmm, this is extra chunky. It's Nigel King. Everyone give a round of applause to Nigel King. He's walking in with stew. He made it for all of us, but he's the only one eating it. Nigel, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Now, Nigel... I hope you brought some cornbread, because I will eat that. Cornbread's always delicious. A little bit of butter, a little bit of jelly. But this isn't a cooking podcast. This is a paranormal podcast that often just becomes gross gross stories podcast. So, Nigel, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirgible. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are floating all the way out to China. So, in China... There is a little restaurant. Actually, sorry, I'm about to get in a lot of trouble. I'm actually about to get in a lot of trouble with various governments over the world. We're actually starting off the story by heading to Taiwan. <laughs> so the dirigible, dirigible kind of turns a little bit right. We're headed to Taiwan. In Taiwan, in Chaiyai City in Taiwan, there's a little restaurant. And we walk into the restaurant, ding, 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 little door, little doorbell. And we sit down at the tables and the cook comes up to us and he goes, I know what you guys are here for. You guys are here for the special. You guys look like a bunch of disgusting human beings. You guys are here for the most special food I have. And he goes, two orders of yin-yang fish. Now that was the sound. That was the sound of a couple of people shutting off the podcast because they know exactly where this one's going. The yin yang fish, it's this real delicacy. And this is how you perform it. So now we're back in the kitchen and we're watching him cook this. And he goes and he reaches into a big bucket of water and he pulls out a fish, like a carp, like a big old fish, right? And it's like breathing. It's not breathing. That's the thing. It's a fish. He pulls it out of the water. It's trying to breathe, but it can't. It's just breathing in oxygen. And so then he goes, guys, you guys are going to love... You guys You guys are sick. You guys are sick individuals, right? You guys are going to love this. He then takes the yin-yang fish and he starts to scale it, descale it, while it's still alive. And we're like looking at each other. We're like, oh, that's kind of messed up. Like, does that hurt? And he's like, oh, fish. I don't know. Does anything hurt? Does anything hurt? He has no nerve endings. He was born without the ability to feel pain. He starts descaling himself. He's like, look at it. I'm not feeling anything. He's bleeding all over the kitchen. We're like, uh-oh. He descales the fish while it's still alive. And he's like, and then he takes out like a fillet knife. And we're like, oh, no. And he starts to gut the fish while it's still alive. And we're just looking at its little mouth going, ah, ma, ma. Then he takes the fish and he holds it up by its head 
and he dips it into boiling oil all the way up to its head and then pulls it out. This guy has now been completely burned, but you can still eat it. <laughs> you still have an appetite. And the yin-yang fish, also known as the dead or alive fish, is served to you and it's been cooked alive, gutted alive, descaled alive. And while you're eating it, its head is looking at you and its mouth is moving. Aww. There's videos of this, which I mean, it was unfortunate enough that I was reading the article, but then I was like, well, I gotta see, I gotta see a video of this. And sure enough, it's exactly how I described it. So let me describe it to you again in graphic detail. I'm going to watch the video and, and talk along with it. So the, here's the thing. So this video came out and it went viral and people were really, really upset. The fact that you were eating this fish while it was still alive, which I don't know what's more horrific, being cooked alive or being cooked half alive, and then, like, you're sitting there, you're like, remember that old Tom Petty music video? This video terrified me as a kid. That old Tom Petty video where Alice in Wonderland is trying to run away from Tom Petty, and then he turns her into a cake, and then they eat her? That, I, that movie, that, oh my god, that terrified me as a kid. But anyways, and she's looking, she's like, no, no, they're eating me, no, I need my thighs. What would be worse, to be cooked alive or to be cooked just enough that you can watch yourself be eaten? I guess, actually, that's not even... The one where you're watching yourself be eaten is the worst. But these people are eating this fish and he's, like, looking at them. Imagine... I don't know why I keep trying to put you into this hellish position, but someone takes a spoonful of you and then you see the spoonful of you move past your eyes into someone's mouth. That's what I'm trying to get at. That's what this fish is seeing. Absolutely despicable. Now, the chef says, listen, he's saying this from behind bars. They're getting ready to execute him. No, no, he actually had a little bit of blowback from this, but apparently they still sell it. He goes, listen, you idiots. You guys are morons. The fish is obviously dead. The fish died when I removed its guts, right? It died. It suffocated from not being able to breathe, what you're seeing is simply the synapses. What you're seeing is the nerve endings. You see, it's just simulating that it's in undying agony. But it's actually been dead for a while. That's his defense. Now, again, imagine you were a corpse. No, I'm just joking. Imagine you were a corpse and someone is pretending you were alive. We did that episode a long time ago. I don't even remember what it was. Where people were putting soy sauce in the octopus brains and it would make the octopus dance around on your plate. And I thought, what if you could put a soy sauce helmet on a captured soldier and you'd turn him into a zombie and have him run across the battlefield? Like, what a psychological weapon that would be. It would be super inconvenient. You have the special forces. They're bringing along all their gear. And then they also have this giant industrial-sized soy sauce packet. that They're like trying to tear the tip off and just squeeze into some dude's brain. But would it work? The point is, is like, whether or not the fish is alive, the fish, the fish looks like it's in agony. It's a horrible all around. So I read about this yin-yang fish. And it's just gross. And there's a video of people eating it. And it's looking at him. And maybe he's still alive. Maybe he's not. But then that led me to look at more disgusting stuff. So now we're headed to mainland China. So hop back in this dead rabbit dirigible. We're going to Beijing to meet a man known as Zhu Yu. In the 90s, he became super popular. And you know, like there's different types of art schools. Like there's like, hi, I'm a cubist. So like I draw pictures and everyone looks like Minecraft. Or I'm like gothic. 
So it's like I make pillars and dinosaur clothes and like gothic art. Everything's super spooky and the candles are like you just walk around with candles through spooky houses. And then there's like modern art, which is like here's some dust. You walk into the exhibit, they just throw dust in your eyes. That'll be $500, please. That's art. You have all these different schools of art. Uh, Picasso did something. I think he was like uh, cube, cube. I think he was a cubist as well. I did take an art history class in college. <laughs> Technically, I took an art, art history class. I never went, though. It was super boring. There weren't enough hot girls in the class to keep me interested. But anyways, so <laughs> all of that has led up to that monologue. There's different types of art. But there is a school of art known as the Cadaver School. And that is where your milieu, your genre of art, is body part stuff. There's enough of these people that they have their own school. It's it's not like Hogwarts. It's not like there's like a physical school you can go to, or is there? But you, you go to a mortuary, and you walk in between the fourth and fifth body, and then you end up in the cadaver school. It's enough artists worldwide that they use that as their template. They use that as their canvas. The blood is my paint, and the sinewed flesh is where I put stuff. It's not just one sicko. There's enough of these lunatics out there that they form their own school. And so Zhu Yu in China is one of these guys. And he had, let's look at some of his art because I've learned from doing the show that I love going through performance art. I would never attend one in real life. I think it's super boring, but I love reading about them because they're super lame. So anyways, here's this guy. He made a art. One of his art pieces was called Skin Graft, where he had skin cut from himself and put on a giant flank, a giant cut of pork. And you go, Jason, that's awesome. You're telling me I can go to an art show and watch a man get his skin cut off? No, I don't think so. I think he just brought... <laughs> the most interesting part is him screaming in agony. He's like, this is all for the cadaver school as he's cutting out this piece of skin. No, he just shows up with a big piece of pork and goes, that's my skin on there. That's super lame, dude. Then he has this thing. This is better. This is better. I might go to this one. I might go to this one just to pull pranks. He had a thing called Pocket Theology. In 1999, he got this room and he had a long coiling rope pretty much covering every inch of the floor. So there's just rope everywhere. And then the rope is hanging. So it's like all this rope on the ground. And then the rope is hanging from a severed arm. A severed human arm is holding onto this rope and the arm is stuck on a meat hook that's hanging from the ceiling. So it's this decayed, rotting arm holding this rope. And the art exhibit is you have to walk over the rope. As the viewer, it's like in the middle of this museum. So basically you're walking and you get to this room and the only way to continue on to the, to the dinosaur exhibit, the only way to get to the gift shop, is you have to walk over this rope. Now, and when I first read that, after I got done laughing at the thought of this smelly human arm hanging, I thought that would be creepy because you're not just walking over any rope. You're basically walking over an extension of this rotting arm. It's an interesting trick. There's just a rope on the ground. Some other lesser, lamer artist out there, right, would be like, oh, this is called rope. It's called the Tangled of the Masses. Pay me $10,000 and I'll throw this rope in your museum. It's like, I, I, I don't have a lot of appreciation for modern art. And it's so funny because I happen to run in circles of people who love this type of garbage. 
And it's just a miracle of sociology that I can get along. A lot of my friends would be like, oh my God, Tangled of the Masses is coming to Portland? I can't wait. Anyways, if it doesn't involve body parts or Optimus Prime, I am not there. So Zhu Yu also had this... uh, This is what he's most famous for. And if you didn't shut off when I said Ying Ying Fish, I'm sure a lot of people shut off when I said Zhu Yu. This is what he's most famous for. In the East Link Gallery back in 2000 in Shanghai, China, there's this art exposition. It's supposed to be all of this like outsider art, like really in-your-face art at the East Link Gallery in 2000. And Zhu Yu shows up with a set of photographs. But what the photographs were, were disgusting. And really, I, I think disgusting is probably underselling it. Zhu Yu had this exhibit. It was called Eating People. And what he did, a lot of people have tried disputing this, but he has never disputed it. People have tried changing and saying, oh, no, no, he later in life, he said that it wasn't true. I could find no record that he ever denied this. Snopes ran a big article about saying, oh, no, no, it's not true. It's not true. He has never denied it. And even in the Snopes article, they were saying, well, well, what he did might have been true, but we think it was this. Like people have been going out of their way to dispute something that he has never denied doing. Eating people is Zhu Yu. It's a series of photographs of him sitting there eating a six-month-old human fetus. These photos went viral, and what it became was this thing. And you might have seen these photos back in the early 2000s. They were saying this huge thing like, look at what they're eating in China. They're eating babies. Here's a photo of just a normal Chinese guy sitting down for a delicious breakfast. And so people were debunking that. And that's where Snopes came in. And they're like, normal Chinese people are not eating babies. This is a photo that's attributed to a performance artist. And Snopes goes on to say, we don't even believe he's eating the baby. We think they took a duck and put a doll's head on it. Now, I don't know much about human anatomy, but I know it doesn't look a lot like duck anatomy. Anyways, he does not deny it. He came out and said, there's nothing wrong with cannibalism. And he he puts it out like this. There's nothing wrong with cannibalism as long as it can be done in a way that does not end in a crime being committed. So if someone is willingly giving their body, in his mind, I think it's disgusting, right? I'm not not giving him any wiggle room, but he's saying as long as you can not commit a crime while committing cannibalism, is there anything wrong with cannibalism? And he said that, he said it's not forbidden by any laws or religion. Which I'm pretty, here's the thing, I don't know if that's true. It may, is it against the law to eat people? I know they have things like abuse of a corpse is a law. So, and they could classify cannibalism of that. If you, someone dies of natural means, but then you turn them into a marionette puppet, that's a crime, right? If you eat them and there's no survival situation, that would be a crime as well. I don't know. Honestly, if in the Bible they talk about cannibalism, and it's weird because they were constantly starving to death back then. I think people were eating each other. I do remember reading books about ancient warfare, ancient Hebrew warfare, Israel, Israeli warfare, and there would be sieges and people would eat each other back then. But I don't know if in the Bible it specifically says, don't eat people. What's so bizarre is he views his artwork as a protest. He's protesting people. <laughs> He's protesting people who don't like cannibalism. 
So he's basically protesting everyone. Here, here, I'll tell you exactly what happened with this dude. I'll tell you exactly what happened to this dude. He says he he almost threw up a couple times while he's getting ready to eat this baby. But he finally was able to eat it. And he's never denied it. Nowadays he's like painting pebbles and rocks. And he's doing like art art. He's doing Jason art. He's doing art that Jason would consider art. I think he just wanted some attention. I think... There, here's my two scenarios. Here's my three scenarios. One, he's a groundbreaking artist who would stop at nothing no matter what taboos were in front of him. Could have been doing that. Two, he could just have been an attention seeker. I think that a lot of performance artists are comedians who... Stand-up comedians who have stage fright. So they just do wacky stuff. And they do stuff out of the sight of others and take photographs and things like that of it. Or... This was some sicko sex thing as well, right? We can't discount that he's just always wanted to eat somebody. When he was a young kid, he saw that movie Alive about the Brazilian soccer players crashing into the mountain. And he's like, that's me. I want to do that someday. In his entire life, he was going to enter any job possible that would allow him to eat people. First off, he tried playing soccer. That didn't pan out. And then he tried becoming like an adventurer, hoping he would get stranded with a bunch of people in a cave and then maybe eat them. But people got a little worried because he never brought like survival gear. He just brought a fork and knife everywhere. And then he goes, you know what I'll do? I'll just be a performance artist and then I'll eat a baby. Like, okay, that, that last one might be the most convoluted of the three. He probably sees himself as the taboo-breaking artist, but I so weird and gross, right? Eating the baby. Eating the baby. Um, it's a little more intense than just listening to an Eminem song. So when you're talking about art and pushing buttons, that just seems too much. I Since we're here, Jason, no, let's go on to the next segment. Let's go ahead, hop in that Dead Rabbit Dirigible. Let's head to London, England, because I'll cover this guy as well. He's another performance artist. He actually beat out uh, uh, Zhu Yu by a couple years. He'd been doing this stuff before. His name was Rick Gibson. And he, back in 1984, made a set of earrings that don't tell me I don't know why all this stuff I really don't know why I found all this stuff in the same two or three days the Google algorithm must be doing my job for me or it just must be possessed by Moloch Rick Gibson decided to start wearing these earrings Actually, I don't know if he wore them around town I don't know I might for all I know he made them and took a photograph of them and showed that in the museum it was matching earrings and each one was a 10 week old fetus so he's like, hey, he's at the club. <laughs> he's dancing. And he's like, hey, ladies, what's going on? They're like, oh, my God, that's the most disgusting thing ever. So then he's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't wear these out to pick up women. Or women who do go home with them. That's just wrong, right? They're like, oh, I really love your earrings. And th then he had this weird downslide. He had this weird downslide. He did that. That's a big showstopper, right? Like, how do you, where do you go from wearing fetus earrings? In 1986, he stood in front of government buildings in England holding a rat. He had this rat and he would hold it up in front of the doors. Because, get it? Like, government officials are rats. Oh, that's lame, dude. I'm not saying, I'm not saying go harder into the fetus stuff, but what a come down. He's holding up the rat. Get it? They're rats. But then he came back. He came back swinging hard. July 23rd, 1988. He's in London. Everyone's like, oh, great. He's doing the rat thing again. Boring. He's like, oh, no. I need something super crazy. He Cannibalism. He goes the cannibalism route. He's eating a canape. Do you know what a canape is? I didn't. It's a crack. It's a cheese and cracker. Right? It's that's what we would just call it. Hey, can I have some cheese and crackers? But I guess I guess if you want to spend $50 on a cracker after you've gone seeing Tangle of the Masses. 
you take a cracker, you put some cheese on it, maybe like a tomato or some basil or something like that. He is standing in the middle of London and he has one of those and he's like, and he puts on top of it. This is so gross. <laughs> this to me is grosser than the fetus because I can't really comprehend that, right? Like I've seen pictures of fetus. I've seen the photos of this guy eating the fetus, the zoo you guy, but it's still an alien. It's an abstract thought to me. I've never held a baby. I've seen them from afar. They terrify me. What I do know, what I do know a lot about, because I'm constantly looking in my throat, because I always have sore throats, is tonsils. So this dude has this cracker, and on top of it, he has human tonsils. And he eats it. Now that's art, ladies and gentlemen. Now that's art. That's relatable. No one likes tonsils, right? They're everywhere. They're constantly coming out of mouths. You can eat that. I would have been... I would have been bravo, bravo. Then he had to updo that, right? You're a performance artist. You're an artist. You have to keep doing better and better. Um, April 15th, a year later, 1989. This time he shows up and the police are ready for him. Because the fetus earrings were gross, but it was like 1984 and people were like, what, huh? It's just super bizarre. And then the rat thing was so lame. But now, he just ate some human tonsils the previous year. It was this huge uproar. The police are looking for this guy. <laughs> They're looking for him. He's like constantly hanging outside a dentist office. He's like, mmm, more delicious tonsils. This time, he shows up and he eats. So he has two of these to eat. <laughs> he has two of these segments going on way too long, but I'm getting way too much enjoyment. He has two of these to eat. So start thinking about body parts that you can eat two of. And you can put in your pocket we'll say so it's not feet unless you have really big pockets he sits there and he has two of these and he eats the first one and people are just sickened they're outraged they're, wow that's so gross and the police move in and they arrest this guy and during the scuffle he drops the second one and rolling around this true story <laughs> rolling around in the streets of london falls out of his hand a human testicle so he'd eaten the first one, no problem. You can always eat at least one testicle. No one can stop that first swallow. But when they saw him go, oh, and then they saw him reach into his pocket to pull out the other milky white. I imagine they were like giant wall. I imagine it's like, oh, if you took a walnut and dipped it in milk, maybe white paint, maybe for a little more viscosity. But... They have this this walnut-sized thing, and it's rolling around on the ground. And I can just imagine as the cops are covering him, he's like, no, lefty, no! And he's watching this left testicle kind of roll down the street. It's getting close to the sewer. Will it fall in? No, it doesn't. Actually, apparently one of his supporters, can you believe this guy has fans? One of his supporters must have scooped up the testicle, good old lefty, because this dude, I don't remember his name, I'm too busy talking about what he's eating, Rick Gibson... Gets taken, gets arrested, gets taken to jail, gets released, right? W not a big deal. The judge goes, there's really not a crime against eating human testicles. We're assuming it was from a willing donor. And then a year later, he shows up that exact same spot. He has that other testicle. Oh, he eats that one as well. What's worse? What's really worse? <laughs> eating a human testicle... <laughs> Or eating a testicle that's been sitting out for a year. Right? 
that's disgusting. That makes it even worse. Now, I don't think he was just sitting in his cupboard next to his top ROM and it's like slowly getting moldy and it's like getting harder and harder. He's like, oh, now it really is like a walnut. Yes, use a nutcracker to get to the juicy goodness. I don't know. I don't, I'm assuming he put it in the fridge. But then you got to worry, like, did he get freezer burned? Did it ruin the flavor? Did he really get the full flavor of the testicle a year later? Nigel, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carboner Copter. We are leaving behind all of this madness in London. We are headed all the way out to a tiny little house in the middle of the suburbs. Found this story online. Very, very interesting story with really bizarre implications. So let's kind of dig into this real quick here. There's this young boy, young 12-year-old boy. Let's call him Robbie. Robbie has a best friend named Devin, who's about to turn 10 years old. But shortly before Devin's 10th birthday, he's killed in a car accident. Little Devin, little nine-year-old Devin, is walking down the street. There's a driver, has a seizure. She loses control of the car. It jumps the curb and runs him over. Now, Robbie didn't know that this had happened. The day that it all took place, he wasn't there. And his parents didn't know how to tell him. Like, this is the first real loss as a child, is losing one of your friends like that. They didn't know what to do. So they actually asked his aunt, hey, would you mind taking Robbie for a couple of days? We need to get some stuff settled here. Yeah, yeah, sure, of course. And that day when he gets home from school, he actually packs up and goes to stay at his aunt's house for a couple of days. He has no idea what's happened to Devin. And that night, that very first night after Devin had passed away, Robbie has a dream. He dreams he's in a department store like a J.C. Penney's. So you got the linoleum floors that give you a guided pathway through the store, and then the carpeted areas where all of the fixtures are at. You have racks and racks of clothes, the perfume counter, those pillars that kind of dot the landscape. And then you have the clothes on the circular racks. You'd always see a sea of those as well. And you would just sit there and you'd kind of flip through the clothes like you were looking through a magazine page by page, and they'd be on these circular racks. And these racks, if you've ever been in the malls, which I kind of have to say because not everyone gets the opportunity to go into malls or department stores anymore. They, they exist less and less. But there was all... I mean, shopping is super boring. I'd rather go see performance art than go shopping, but I was always dragged going shopping with my mom. We'd be standing there. And those circular racks were always creepy to me because they were child height. And you never saw what was on the other side of them. Now, it was kind of that mixed bag. Like, sometimes we like to hide in them. It was funny for us to go in there as children and be like, ooh, wonder where I'm at, play hide and seek. And in a crowded department store, we did that back in the day. But it's also creepy. Because they're the perfect size for a kid to get lost in. They're a perfect size for a kid to get pulled into. Who knows what's in there? So there's this weird fascination, I think, that you have with those circular racks. In this dream, Robbie is seeing these circular racks, and out of one of the racks, Devin pops out. Sticks a little head out of the rack of clothes. Robbie goes, hey, Devin, what's going on? Hey, how's it going? And Devin snuck back into the rack. What? 
Robbie's looking here and he's looking in this department store and people are just kind of shuffling around shopping and he sees Devin poke his head out of another rack of clothes. Just kind of looking at Robbie. Devin, what's going on? Hey, man, how's it? We playing hide and go seek? Who's it? I'm assuming I am since you're the one. He ducked back into the rack of clothes. And so Robbie begins to walk through the department store. And every time he gets to a circular rack, he sees Devin's head pop out of it. But as he gets closer, Devin disappears back into the circular rack and appears at a farther off one. So no matter how far Robbie's moving through the store, he's always not able to catch up to Devin. And this happens. Devin keeps getting farther and farther away in these racks of clothes. He's popping out farther and farther away. And then, for the first time in this dream, Devin speaks. He says, I have to go. Robbie wakes up. Later, later that week, Robbie is told that Devin had passed away. Devin was killed in that accident. And so that dream kind of sat on Robbie. It was obviously a difficult dream. And when he found out that that was the night that Devin had died, made it even more impactful. Six months after this whole thing, he's visiting Devin's house for the first time since the accident. He went there and he's talking to the stepmom and he's talking to Devin's siblings and they're just kind of reminiscing. And one odd detail of this whole thing that Robbie was saying was so weird was that the stepmom, Devin's stepmom, showed him a little container full of teeth. And she said, I got these from the accident scene. When Devin got hit by the car and knocked out some of his teeth. I saved him. She's holding out this little container for Robbie to see. It's just, a, just an odd detail to it. A, the grief, you know, the grieving process. So Robbie was really creeped out by that, but he was even more creeped out by the fact that he's talking to the stepmom, and the stepmom goes, you want, you want to know the weirdest thing about all of this? I mean, other than the teeth I'm collecting? I had a dream about Devin after he died. I had a dream. I was in this big department store. You know, normal, typical department store. with The clothing on those circular racks. And I'm standing in this department store. And Devin popped out of one of the racks. And no matter how close I got to him, he was always just out of reach. It's an interesting, creepy story. It makes you wonder about what the natures of dreams are. Are there a way for spirits to communicate with us? What's really going on? The fact that he didn't know... that That's pretty standard in, in ghost lore and dream lore. People having no news of an event that has happened and then in their dream being alerted to someone who had died earlier that day. A longtime listener of the show, Beatrice, sent me in a story that's very similar to this about her grandmother who passed away came to her in a dream, and she wasn't aware that the grandmother had died in the sleep. So, And it's very standard for... Thanks for sharing that story, Beatrice, as well. It's very standard for ghost lore stuff. So a standard, interesting ghost story. It correlates 
with the lore, the things that we know about ghosts. What, when I was reading this story, though, what I was thinking was, like, we all got the imagery, right? When I described it, you could almost, you can imagine the lighting, the right lighting for this J.C. Penney's. You can imagine exactly how it's laid out. Here's my question. I've been thinking about this a lot. Kid poking his head out from the turnstile of the clothing, the rolling racks. That's creepy, right? No one liked being around those things because they were creepy. You would always think someone would get out and get you. I told the story about Beatrice's grandmother who came back to say, it's okay, honey, I love you, after the grandmother had passed away and Beatrice didn't know about that. I left out the part where Beatrice's grandma is floating, is like floating down the hallway. Here's my question. Do ghosts know they're being creepy? Do ghosts understand? Because they used to be alive. They should be fully aware that floating, floating down the hallway doing inhuman things is going to scare us. Appearing to us late at night. Popping out of the turnstiles of clothing just until your friend gets a little bit closer and then you disappear and then do it out another one. Not only is that terrifying, you're kind of a jerk. Do ghosts understand they're being creepy? Now, sure, we could say the malevolent ghosts, the demons, things like that, that's their goal. But what about the times... Lil uh, Robbie, I think his name was, I'm recording this way later. <laughs> I'm recording this hours later. The original ending went on for a long time, and it wasn't that good. This is my second take. What did we call I think it was Robbie? Or is that... That's the kid from the first story from Mexico. He's like, hey, for yesterday's episode, is the factory still haunted? Um, anyways, the point is, is that imagine, imagine you were the narrator of that story and how distraught you, you don't even know your friend's dead yet and how distraught you would feel, you know, something's off and you're trying to just say hi, you're being led in your dream and he keeps disappearing. Why would Devin's ghost choose to do that? <laughs> he did it twice. He did it to his stepmom too. He's like, <laughs> that was so funny what I did to that other kid. I totally forgot his name. That lame he's still alive. I don't even remember who he is. I had so much fun doing that. I'm going to do it to my stepmom and give me my teeth back, you weirdo. That's so weird. That's like it's just a sad detail about collecting the teeth, having the teeth. Ugh. But anyways, I mean, th that's how real, <laughs> that's how people in real life are creepy. But let's talk about how people in the world of the dead could be creepy. And I don't know if I've given them credit yet. This all came from an online post written by Couple Technical 16795. So Couple Technical, if I haven't given you a shout out yet, I apologize. But yeah, just to wrap it up, like when I'm reading the story, I'm thinking, does Devin know how creepy this is? Do ghosts choose to do creepy things? Or do ghosts live in a, since they're in the afterlife and they live in this different dimension... Is it so irrational? <laughs> like, they think they're... <laughs> he thinks what he's doing is totally normal. He's in a brand new reality. Thinking about, like, floating a couple inches off the floor of the hallway at night, coming through the doors, being like, I love you! I mean, it's going to tear anyone. I mean, it was a beautiful story of a grandmother's love piercing the veil... But would you choose to do that if one of, if you passed away and you had to greet one of your loved ones? Where you're like, what's the heaviest chains I can borrow? What's the spookiest time I can't appear? No, you would show up like I would show up, right? And I'd show up how everyone always remembered me. 
unwashed jeans and a t-shirt. I'm not a very fashionable guy. And I would walk and I would sit there. They'd be like, dude, it'd be like in the middle of lunch or something like that. They're driving to work. They're on their commute to work. And I'm like, hey, guys, what's up? Sit in the passenger seat. Ah! I would show up and I'd be like, hey, remember me? It was, Of course you remember me. I'm totally awesome. And they're like, they're holding their noses. They're like, ugh. I guess you don't wash your jeans in the afterlife either. I was like, listen, hey, man, I really loved you. And I wish I could have told you one last time how cool you were. But I died. Horrible harpoon accident. So here I am. I just have this giant harpoon sticking through my heart. I'm dripping ectoplasm all over your steak and eggs. Here I am. I just want to give me a hug. I just came to give you a hug. Ha, 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 ha. And then I chase you around the house, trying to take you with me. Yeah, that's probably what I would do. That's probably what I would do if I was a ghost. I guess that answers the questions. Ghosts know they're doing creepy things, and it's hilarious. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.